Thanks for listening to the Revelation Lecture Podcast, an audio service of the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary Library. For more, please visit www.wls.wells.net. Lecture 1, Part D. And that brings to mind three other numbers. Um, what is the number three and a half? And three and a half you immediately associate with seven. When you see the number three and a half together with seven, uh, you recognize immediately what you have here is just half of it, huh? Seven has been broken in half, uh, and uh, all you've got left is half of it. And um, that, I would say, is the number of the broken covenant, um, probably more um, in keeping with um, an interpretation that um, uh, can hold a little more water would be to say that the number three and a half is the number of evil. Seven is the number of God's relationship with his people. Three and a half is the number of evil. That's always associated with something bad in every case that it occurs. It occurs in a number of different ways. Um, you don't recognize them immediately. For example, the number three and a half is the same as the number four of 42. Um, 42 months. Now, if you divide 42 months by 12, you get three and a half, see? Or 1260 days. That's also three and a half. Because you multiply 42 months by 30 days, and you get 1260 days. So three and a half years, or 42 months, or 1260 days, are just three, three different ways of calling your attention again to this number three and a half which is the number of evil, um, the number of the Antichrist, the number of the devil, the number of all the enemies of the Savior. Then you have also the number four, which whenever it is you four and 16, 1600 rather, um, these numbers, whenever they are associated with anything that can be identified, are always associated with the world, the earth. Four might be said to be the number of the earth, um, the four corners of the earth, the four winds of the earth, the four angels who hold the four destructive winds of the earth, and so on. So that um, the number four, the number of the earth. Now, the number three does not occur in the book. Um, the number one-third occurs, but the number three itself, um, I don't think is ever used in the whole book. But at the very beginning, um, you have this sort of threefold arrangement that we saw in that, um, that benediction. See, blessing and glory and wisdom and honor and power and might, and thanksgiving and power and might, uh, those seven things are offered to God. In the very first chapter, God is described as the one who was and the one who is and the one who is going to be. Then he's described as the one who is and the one who was and the one who is going to be, that's one, and the seven spirits that are before the throne and um, the Lord Jesus Christ. See? That's three again. And then Jesus is described in three ways. Um, so, and then uh, three things are said about him that he does for us. So that the number three might be said to be associated with God. Um, and when you add, put three and four together, see, when you bring three and four together, then you get seven. So when God and men are reconciled, when God is reconciled with the world, when there's union brought about between God and the world again, then the significance of the number seven um, is established. 
Now, some of this is not as certain. Uh, um, these are ideas that, um, that come very easily when you look at those numbers, but I would say the one number that's certain is the number 12, the number 7, and the number 3 and a half, and then probably 3 and also, and probably 10 and also 4. Those, those you could pretty well identify as being exact. I don't know about this one. Okay? Um, the only uh, reason I, um, I look at those threefold descriptions of God. And then I think of the fact, well, four is undoubtedly the number of the world, seven is undoubtedly the number of the covenant, and then the covenant unites God and man, and um, from that I get the notion that maybe seven uh, symbolizes this union between God and the world. But uh, that's something you can believe or not believe as you want to. Now, so, uh, so much then for the um, interpretation of the book in a general way. Now, I, um, I've given you on page um, the last page of the outline that you got today, an outline uh, of the whole book. And I'd just like to have you look at that. Um, I'd like to write it on the board because I think that would help to fix this in your mind, but I don't think we have time to do that because I'd like to go through um, the um, first chapter yet today. But if you... Um, not all Lutheran scholars even agree that the book of Revelation should be divided into three parts, into seven parts, I should say. But I'd like to give you my reasons for dividing the book the way um, it is divided here on this sheet. You all have this one? Um, who is missing? Um, <coughs> Anybody else? I think, oh, there's some more here in case uh, somebody needs one. Um, the reason why I'm convinced it should be divided into seven uh, parts is this. First of all, uh, the book itself talks about the seven letters to the seven churches. Okay? You have seven letters in chapters two and three. That's obviously one section. Okay? And then right after that comes uh, the vision of the seven seals. That's identified that way in the book. So the seven letters and the seven seals are spoken of together. Then, after the vision of the seven seal comes the vision of the seven trumpets. And that ends in chapter 11. Then chapter 12, 13, and 14 um, are not identified in the Bible as being seven visions of a, um, they're not named seven vials or seven trumpets. Uh, you don't get the number seven spoken of in that section. But then in chapter 15 and 16, you have the vision of the seven vials. See? So that four of, the, of the seven, four of these sections are identified as specific visions, specifically named by the book itself, as seven letters, seven seals, seven trumpets, and then you have the interlude, and then the seven vials. So four of the seven are identified that way. Now if you take chapter 12 to, to 14 and look at them, you will notice that seven times in that section you get the words, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and so on. And each one of those introduces a new vision. So there are seven visions in that section. They're not named seven visions, but there are seven of them. Because the word, there appeared or I saw, you, uh, you get those two uh, variations. 
So on the basis of that, I would say that section ought, ought to be called the section of the seven visions. Just as the, uh, by us, the others are called the, the seven letters, the seven, by, the seven seals, the seven trumpets. Then I would say the next section should be called the seven visions because there are seven of them there. The next one is called the vision of the seven vials. Each one of these visions ends with a um, reference to the day of judgment. Every one of them. Some of them very clearly and some of them not so clearly. But um, all of them refer at least to a judgment that's coming. Um, some of them identify, are, uh, identify that judgment very clearly as the judgment that takes place on the last day. Others don't identify it so clearly, but there's nothing that keeps you from identifying them as a picture of the last judgment. So every, every one of these five sections that we've talked about ends with a vision of judgment. Whether it is the last judgment or not, you, you might um, uh, dispute, um, at least for a few of them. Some of them you've got to say it's the last judgment. But then uh, chapter 19, the next section would be chapter 17 to 19. Chapter 19 at the end uh, has a reference to the last judgment. And then chapter 20 at the end has a reference to the last judgment. So that um, you get a reference to the judgment in every one of these sections. And that's why I would uh, divide the last chapters from 17 to 22 into two sections too. Now you say, well, but the, the judgment comes at the end of chapter 20. Now, um, that, uh, and I said at the end, now um, uh, that has to be qualified a little bit again too, because in the vision of the seven seals, the last judgment comes with a sixth seal, and then uh, at the end, of, after that, comes a vision of the saints in heaven. And that's what you have in Revelation 20 and 21 and 22 too. You have uh, chapter 20 is the picture of the enemies of Christ being overcome. And that ends then with the last judgment. And then in chapter 21 and 22, you have a picture of the saints in heaven again. So you have exactly the same sort of thing that you have in the vision of the seven, uh, seven seals. And there's one other thing that I'd like to call your attention to. And that is this, that two of these visions are very, uh, uh, in two cases, rather, two visions are very closely connected with each other. Uh, now, you have the uh, column with the seven churches. Uh, the first seven boxes, then, are the seven letters to the seven churches. And then at the, in the eighth box, in the first column, you have the introduction to the vision of the seven seals. Then in the next column, you have six seals. And the sixth seal, um, when the sixth seal is open, John sees a vision of the last judgment. He sees Christ sitting on the throne, ready to judge the people of this earth. That is followed then in chapter 7 by a vision of the saints in heaven. And that seemed, uh, the vision of the seven trumpets is not finished, or the seven seals is not finished. But the seventh seal, when the seventh seal is opened, John sees the vision of the seven trumpets. So that the vision of the seven trumpets and the vision of the seven seals are very closely connected. So that the, um, if you would, you could divide them this way. You say the seven trumpets, the seven seals are one column, and then a little bit off to the side are the seven trumpets, which come under the heading of the seventh seal. You could do that. Um, it would spoil the sevenfold division of the book. But you get it happening again in these seven visions that I spoke of in chapters 12 to 15. You have six visions in chapter 12, 13, and 14. In chapter 15 comes the seventh, uh, seventh vision, 
But the seventh vision is the introduction to the vision of the seven vials. Just as the seventh seal is the introduction, is really the, uh, the introduction to the vision of the seven trumpets, so the seventh vision is the introduction to the vision of the seven vials, which indicates that there's a very close connection between those. And, I, and when we get to uh, that section in the book, I want to come call your attention to that again. And in each one of these sections, you have, a first of all, a description of the enemies that try to destroy the church, and then the victory of God's people over those enemies. And that's always clear. In every single case, you get that, uh, uh, that lesson driven home in language which simply is unmistakable, even if you don't understand some of the details. The main lesson is just as clear as anything can be. Now, uh, before then uh, uh, I go on to the first chapter, to a review of the first chapter, I just want to stop here to see if anybody has any questions. You don't have any? Well, um, we'll go on to chapter one, and you want me to use the NIV, and I will do that. Um, all right. Um, now, in the first verses, in the first three verses, um, John simply describes, he gives the title of the book. The title of the book is the revelation of, of Jesus Christ, really. It isn't the revelation of John the Divine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which Jesus gave to John. And um, the King James says he signified it to John by his angel. Um, that's really closer to the original Greek. Uh, what, what it means is this. He made the message known by signs to signify it by symbols. He made the message known in symbols uh, through his angel. All right, now, um, uh, the third verse is kind of interesting in connection with the... Um, uh, gospel. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Um, reminds you, I'm sure, of the words, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now, John, this is also a claim to inspiration, then. Um, now, this um, word blessed is interesting because it occurs seven times in the book in just this kind of context. Uh, this, you know, you're familiar with the Beatitudes of Jesus. Blessed are the poor, or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the thirst, uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There you all, you have them all in one, in one uh, series of verses. In the book of Revelation, you have such Beatitudes also, and there are seven altogether in the book. Now, if you'd like to mark them, um, I'll call your attention to them directly. Uh, I have them marked in my King James Bible. I don't have them marked in the um, NIV, so I'm going to have to use uh, the King James. So the first time you have blessed, uh, the, the beatitude is in verse 3 then. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. He that readeth, of course, is the pastor of the congregation who reads the book to the congregation. And then those who hear are the ones who sit there and listen to the pastor read the books. Now, chapter 14, verse 13. Will you page to that? Chapter 14, verse 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Uh, somebody uh, might keep track of them. That's number two, huh? All right, then look at 16, verse 15. Uh, blessed uh, is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Uh, then that's number three. Uh, chapter 19, verse 9. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. What was that? Number four. four. All right, uh, then chapter um, uh, 20, verse 6. 
Uh, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's number 522, verse 7. Uh, behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And then verse 14. Uh, blessed are they that do his commandments, that, uh, and that they may have the right to the tree of life. Now, uh, if you have the NIV, you've got a different reading there again. Blessed are they that keep his commandments. You have blessed are they that, um, uh, that have washed their robes. Now, uh, that sounds so different again, but blessed are they that keep his commandments. In Greek, uh, is, uh, looks like this. And blessed are those who have washed their robes is this. See, those letters are exactly the same. And here, too, uh, these letters are um, almost exactly the same. The only difference is that here you have an L and here you have an OI. These, and these two are reversed. Um, but you can see how easily somebody who has a smudged copy before him uh, of the original might, uh, maybe the letters weren't as clear as they might be, and he just figured out that it must be this, see, when it really was this. Uh, but uh, it looks very much, very different in English, but if you go to the original, you see how those two could easily be mixed up. But um, what we were getting at is that there are seven blessings in the whole book of Revelation, seven Beatitudes. That's another example of, of the use of the number seven where you don't notice it at first glance. Um, all right, now that's the, those are the first three verses then.